This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 114. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's topic, opting not to reword an allegedly ambiguous question. So just a thought for you when dealing with deponents who repeatedly claim they don't understand simple questions with simple words that have ordinary meaning the kind used by everybody in everyday conversations. Words or phrases that are hard to restate because the meaning is so obvious. And so the observation is this, if it happens enough to you repeatedly so that it's clear the witness is not acting in good faith, you might not want to continue trying to rephrase the questions. You might instead just consider leaving the answer as I don't understand what you're asking me. And that's because leaving a deponent stuck with a bad faith effort to pretend confusion or bewilderment about a simple question can be a very effective tactic for both impeachment and sanctions purposes against witnesses who without doubt understand exactly what you're asking. In fact, we've got several cases for you in the show notes where courts have sanctioned parties, deponents, Uh, for pretending not to understand questions where the courts have described this as either a severe credibility issue or as litigation misconduct. And in some of those decisions, it was clear that the examining lawyers opted not to continue rephrasing the questions because it simply wouldn't have done any good. As you surely know, it's not unusual for deponents to play word games. We all encounter this problem. What do you mean by complain? What do you mean by negative? What do you mean by discipline? What do you mean did I have a romantic relationship? That's the Schaefer case in the show notes. Also from Schaefer, what do you mean what kind of phone did I own? And a third from Schaefer where the court quoted a question from the examining lawyer, is there any reason to believe you didn't send that email? Again, a confusion from the witness. In the Johnson & Johnson case in the show notes, the deponent was apparently asked a question about whether they kept track of something and evidently gave a response that indicated that the deponent did not know what it meant to keep track. Remember that everything a deponent says is sworn testimony. So even when your deponent says, I don't know what you mean by, that answer is substantive testimony that can bear on both credibility and on possible bad faith obstructive litigation conduct. Now, obviously, we're not talking about situations where questions might be technical, might include legal jargon, maybe beyond the deponent's comprehension level, or where the deponent isn't a fluent speaker in the language being used by the examining lawyer. We're really talking about situations where the circumstances make plain that the deponent is playing games and obstructing your examination. And it may be an occasion where you're not even drawing objections from the defending lawyer, meaning that it's the deponent who is claiming a word or question is vague, but even the defending lawyer isn't making those objections. Or it just might be a situation where the deponent is taking cues from an obstructive defending lawyer who is frequently and unreasonably objecting to your questions as vague or ambiguous. The point is that a deponent who repeatedly claims they don't understand a word or phrase that they most certainly should understand is offering you an opportunity 
a potentially invaluable opportunity to raise questions about their credibility in front of a trier of fact. And they're also giving you entree, depending on the circumstances, to seek sanctions against the deponent or the party on the basis that the feigned ignorance in the deposition was in fact bad faith misconduct. Sometimes litigators struggle to work in good faith with witnesses that play word games. They struggle to rephrase even though they know and the deponent knows that the deponent understands the terms. It's a way for deponents to exhaust the examiner, to waste time, and in some cases to show who's in control. But there are occasions where examining lawyers should consider leaving those answers in place, simply telling a deponent who has once again feigned ignorance of a plain, understandable word, something like, Mr. Edwards, I'm going to leave that in place as your answer and move on to the next question. This can set off alarm bells for both the defending lawyer and for the deponent. It's a very effective tactic for turning those word games against the witness, offering the deponent, as it does, a chance to choose between appearing incompetent or deceitful. Juries and judges will only tolerate so much from an educated and obviously smart deponent before they realize the deponent is playing games and can't be trusted or believed. So at that point, in your strategy, the deponent and his or her counsel have to make a critical decision whether to continue playing that game or to begin testifying in good faith. There is a risk to both of them, deponent and lawyer, in continuing that word game strategy. So give thought to whether you've expended enough energy already working with an obviously obstructive deponent and whether you're now safe in moving from question to question without clarifying the basic word or phrase. There is no rule that requires you to rephrase anything in a deposition. Whether to rephrase your questions or to let the question and answer stand is always your call alone. And there's no rule that forbids you from reading a substantive response from a deponent for any admissible purpose, including credibility. Further, using this strategy can put you in a very strong position for both impeachment and credibility purposes in an evidentiary hearing or trial where that same deponent suddenly seems able to understand those very same elemental words without question compared to what they said in their deposition. That's a lesson from the Johnson & Johnson and the Ming-Ying Wu cases in the show notes where the judges appeared to note qualitative differences in the quality of the deponent's testimony before trial and then on the stand at trial. All right, so some practice tips and then we'll wrap up. This is obviously a technique that works best with educated deponents who are testifying in their native language and where the words or phrases are really obvious to anyone. It works best when you've tried more than once to rephrase questions without effect where it now becomes clear that the deponent is simply playing games. And remember, it's both a credibility and a sanctions issue. Some of the cases in the show notes make clear that courts have dismissed or appellate courts have affirmed the dismissal of cases based in part on what the Donaldson case in the show notes described as a false obtuseness, meaning a pretend or faked inability to understand. Courts react very sharply 
in situations where a deponent has obviously pretended not to understand questions. In the Schaefer case, in the show notes, the court there said that the defendant responded, quote, to a strikingly large number of questions posed to her by stating that she did not understand the question, some of which were so clear and simply phrased, this is from the court's opinion, that it strains credulity to imagine that she, in fact, did not understand the question, close quote. Result, case dismissed. In the Abbott Labs case, the court noted that the plaintiff, quote, aided by and taking cues from her attorney, repeatedly pretended not to understand simple questions, refused to provide straightforward answers, and slash or feigned an inability to read documents throughout her deposition, close quote. And finally, there's the Donaldson case, which I mentioned a moment ago, where the Federal Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the dismissal of a lawsuit in part based on what it described as the plaintiff's unjustified claims that he didn't understand deposition questions. In that case, the court pointed to the deposition responses as evasive and argumentative, enhanced by dishonesty. So that's the lesson for today. You don't have to buy into an evasive witness's efforts to bog down your examination and to wear you out with a claimed inability to understand. In some situations, there will be good reason to leave those claims of confusion in place for use against the deponent and party, either in sanctions filings or in a credibility attack in an evidentiary hearing or trial. That's it for today. Thank you, as always, uh, for listening. And be sure to check out the book on which this podcast is based, 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice, available everywhere, including Amazon, and now in its fourth edition, just released. Thank you again. We'll talk to you again soon.